Do you ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up? You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it, forget it. Let's see. Thanks, Mr. Uh, now look, here's a house full of bees. Like you think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. American by birth and Southern by the grace of God means that everything you didn't like christmas music <laughs> i love it that was wheeler walker jr of course the one and only also known as ben hoffman hmm. it's his real name yeah uh i that's weird i got a text yesterday from someone that was a link to wheeler walker jr's spotify and sent it to me and my buddy on a group text he goes i think you guys might like this i'm like yeah we listen to this like every day at work <laughs> <laughs> who is that a guy we work with, which is <laughs> it's what you were singing along to with us at work <laughs> earlier. Cheers. Happy holidays. Yeah, man. Merry Happy Christmas. holidays. Yes, indeed. I'm, uh, crawling through them. The, uh, the what the holidays. Oh yes. Yes. yes I, I have know. to kind of do, um, you already know this, but I got to do, I have to do these surgical strikes. Because if it's people all the time, I start to lose it really quick. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that, that you you are an extrovert. Yes. Like you love weddings and parties. Yep. Love and, them. I don't know. Are you on the baby shower circuit? I guess that's a thing for men now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Okay. Just, just testing. It's, well, it's too much fun to be anti the baby shower circuit <laughs> to actually, for a contrarian like me, that overrides my extrovertedness. There is no more fun than an ideological battle I've made up completely in my head. <laughs> we'll never stop fighting. Amen. <laughs> Is I had to explain because you and I have always battled this. Is you're always trying to drag me to tang, to social events. Yeah, I mean for two decades now. Yes. Oh God, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Yeah. And I had this explained to me. It's not. I like people. I enjoy them. Yes. I just. I really like being by myself. Right. And too many people. It like I. I start to lose it, and I have to have like a break. I can take like an hour of more than six people. I'm like I have to. I have to check out. Like, yeah. And go for a walk or go for a run, do something. <clears throat> had someone explained to me that if you are an introvert, which probably I more or less am, mm-hmm. is so if you're an extrovert, like you, those social situations, like a, a wedding, for example, or a cocktail party or a holiday party, 
your battery is getting charged. It's going like tick, 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 up, up. You're getting energy from it. Like you feed off that energy and it kind of fuels your tank. When you're an introvert, it does the opposite. It just slowly drains your battery and you have to like recharge. You have to go, even if I walk out front for 10 minutes, just take a deep breath, a little fresh air, and then go back in. I don't think that's quite accurate, speaking from the extrovert, extroverted perspective. Because mm-hmm. I think that everyone's battery gets drained by those kinds of things. Because I even go home and go, oof, glad that's over. Uh-huh. But while I'm there, like the battery is draining, but the just the pure enjoyment of being around people is like carrying me yeah. through that. Well, well, that'd be the fuel in the tank. It's giving you fuel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but well, okay. Fine. My, my, my battery starts to drain. I think it just like drains when, when someone tells me about the plan. It drains faster. Hey, I'm getting you. married. Like, like when? Like in July. I'm like, oh God. Here's I'm gonna have to go to that. <laughs> immediately my battery just starts going down, even though it's six months away, then I have to go to a wedding. The irony being that every time you acquiesce and I am able to drag you out to these mm-hmm. events, you have a good time. And you enjoy yourself. That's and, true. And usually, just not as good of a time as on my porch with my dog. <laughs> yeah. No, I I well, run I run a pretty solid human 2.0 program. Yes, I can do it pretty good. So, uh, yeah. The was your Christmas enjoyable? Uh, yeah. The part where you were at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christmas morning was pretty about as close to perfect as a holiday i mean we nice did the, having christmas with a nine-year-old is how does, it's just amazing oh yeah it's so nice totally it's just just amped and we do we just my wife is kind of wired like i am we love just being in our house with the family together you know just sitting around and having breakfast together and so the whole morning was really nice yeah but then on the street that i live in it's kind of littered with friends and family and so we're all, and then we have a bunch of people from out of town like staying with us. So there's like this mob, this party that just goes from like house to house for like the last <laughs> two or three days at this point. And so um, I have to kind of navigate it carefully. But I'm trying to do it, not like it's negative. Like I really love everyone a lot. I love everyone that's around. Uh, and I, I enjoy seeing them, but I have to be a little bit strategic about. I, I get like a holiday burnout like really quick. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I don't want to be at Christmas dinner. Just like, I'm just, I'm done. I can't, I felt like I just ran a marathon or something. So I did it pretty good this year. It's, it's uh, everything was really, really nice, really enjoyable. By New Year's, I'm just, I haven't done anything for New Year's and I can't remember how long. I'm fully done by then, the holiday out. Mm-hmm. So I'm making sure I go to work this week. So I'm not, I have like two days in me about of laying around and doing holiday stuff. Like I have to go back to normal, kind of recharge my batteries by working by myself <laughs> and then to get ready for new year's. Cause I'm sure I'll get dragged into something. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody was making fun of me last night because, um, I think the reason that this even came up was that I, I stuffed everyone's stocking mm-hmm. in, uh, pretending that I was Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I hadn't done that, nobody would have put anything in anyone's stocking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm glad I thought of that. Um, But I... Seems uh, like something you'd work out as a family. I know. Well, we're still kind of new at it (laughs) because our four-year-old only has known about Santa for about a year and a half, I would say. Um, 
so I had these packs of jerky that were just big enough to fit in a stocking. Mm-hmm. And luckily I had an extra one because we had, my mother-in-law is in town mm-hmm. and I uh, had enough to put one more in her. So everybody got a pack of jerky nice. in their stocking, except the boy who got all sorts of shit. Right. And the wife, I got her a little, couple little things. Yeah. But me and uh, the mother-in-law got just jerky. Anyways, they're making fun of me because the the year previous, um, she, the mother-in-law had brought over some, uh, some dog treats that mm-hmm. were, that were like jerky for dogs mm-hmm. and left them out on the counter. Uh-huh. And I was complaining to everybody like, and I, this is true. I don't know if you noticed this, but it is really hard to find good beef jerky. Yes. These days. That is true. Right. It used to just be like all jerky was good jerky. Yeah. And now it's, I don't know they lost the recipe or something and no one knows how to do it right anymore. Or I think the FDA got involved and now there's laws that prevent you from making good beef jerky. So you either have to have that wet stuff that comes in right. the bag. You practically have to refrigerate it or it's so dry. It's like you could sew like a, a saddle out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so here I am, I'm taking this jerky, what I thought was jerky off the counter. I'm eating oh, it wow. and I'm telling them, God, jerky, you just can't find good jerky anymore. <laughs> they're like, what jerky are you eating? I'm like, that jerky that's on the countertop. Those are dog treats. <laughs> like, well, no wonder. Yeah, I think it's what what establishes your barometer for beef jerky. Um, I got spoiled. I grew up on homemade beef jerky because yeah. my uncles and my dad would always make it. I still get huge packet. I got one. For Christmas, a huge package of beef for jerky. This well, that's all I want. So. It, but it seemed like the Ferndale Meat Market too. Yeah. had the world's best jerky. Right. It seemed like every gas station up in Humboldt County had really great jerky. Yeah. I don't know. I think something's changed. It's a goddamn conspiracy. I made... Uh, Play the conspiracy theory bumper. I made... <laughs> <laughs> I made uh, short ribs, braised short ribs. Which I, haven't, I don't know if I've ever really braised something before. I don't think I have either. Yeah. And that's where you cook it first and then cook it again. Oh, uh, so the short ribs, you, br- you brown them and then basically you make out of like a beef stock and a bunch of red wine and veggies and stuff. And then you put them slow and low in the oven and like a Dutch oven mm-hmm. um, for uh, five, six hours, something like that. Yeah. I made them the day before and then the next day they turned out so good. I did nice. like a creamy polenta. And so I did the beef ribs on the creamy polenta. That was the appetizer before yeah. Christmas dinner. Everyone's like, oh my God. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we dug deep last night. But then uh, when I took them out Christmas morning, you, uh, you have to, the, you, what you're doing is you're breaking down all that fat for the beef ribs, which are very fatty. And then you take, you have to take that fat off so you're not, you know, just drinking a huge bowl of fat. But then I took that fat and was rendering it down uh, so I use it for like tallow for like cooking and other stuff. So mm-hmm. I was putting all the fat. Anyway, long story longer. I was basically with all the dishes and stuff I was doing, slowly like washing all this beef towel into my kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. And then like right before Christmas dinner, everything just like backed up. Yep. And uh, so I had to get the Drano, had to wash everything. Everyone's, you know, two houses down having dinner. And I'm like, I gotta fi- I'm not going to want to do this after <laughs> Christmas dinner. I got to take <laughs> care of it now. And the sink was just backing up more and more and more. And then I just started laughing. Like, this is kind of an apt metaphor for what my circulatory system probably is right now. <laughs> just like beef tallow, everything just slowing down. Nah, it's nonsense. It was good. Good morning. Time so I know I sent work. this. 
This is gonna be kind of depressing. Uh, I sent this to you guys before. Have you? Did you guys end up looking into that catastrophic contagion paper? Uh, you're not talking about booster rage. No, booster rage. Something else. That was last okay. episode. They are related, however. Yeah. No. Didn't you bring this up when we were talking about the project two or the event two hundred one? Event two hundred one. No. Well, there's so there so the same same organization. This is their new tabletop exercise. So uh, event two hundred one was from twenty nineteen. Uh, catastrophic contagion. Same people. John Hopkins Center for Health Security, in partnership with the World Health Health Organization, and of course the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who funds these things. Yeah, sits at the top of them. Um, this was done in Brussels, Belgium, on October twenty third, twenty twenty two. And what all of these are, so if you go through them, you know, it's uh, Event 201, 2019 that you brought up. There's the Cladex, which is 2018, Atlantic Storm, 2005, Dark Winter, I believe it was 2001 or 2000, 2001. And what these all are, they're all basically the same thing with like different kind of spins on them. And what they are are tabletop exercises for pandemic preparedness. And what they do is they work out the... When you hear pandemic preparedness, what you should be hearing instead is globalist, communistic yes. control of the world. We are on the same path here, my friend. We friends. are preparing for total subjugation of humankind. Mm -hmm. So this group... So we did. I mean, that is their that is their response to all these things, right? right. So, it's, what do you do if there's a total contagion? You don't do what we did in the past with the Spanish flu and with mm -hmm. other diseases, other pandemics that have happened, where you just kind of let them run their course. No, 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 no. You have to implement all sorts of new measures to shut down society and control human beings, right? And you basically just gave the synopsis. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that was good. Was that good? Okay, no, that was the... Uh, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts the of this. preview. <laughs> yeah. No, that was perfect. Okay, was like next topic. <laughs> Shit. Well, I got nothing. Um, this group of participants, this consisted of 10 um, current and former health ministers and senior public health officials. So this was Senegal, Rwanda, Nigeria, Angola, Liberia, Singapore, India, Germany, um, and then with Bill Gates sitting at the top of it. This is done in conjunction with the World Health Organization. Uh, interesting note, some of those African countries are the same ones that the World Health Organization got caught and admitted to adding sterilants to their tetanus vaccine program. Really? Yep. They did that. They did that. Admitted to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that would explain how Bill Gates thought that by vaccinating people, you could we reduce the world's population. population. Down by fifteen percent. Makes a lot more sense now. Yes. So, uh, if and anyone people still take those fuckers seriously, yeah. God. Yeah. When you when you and tell if it, I, I didn't know that and yeah. I pay attention more than, right. let's just say, I don't know, my wife. Oh, you want to get, so, we won't get into this, but if you looked at his Gavi, uh, G-A-V-I, um, that organization headed by Bill Gates, which is a vaccination program, and what they did in India, they uh, did, this was through the polio vaccine that ended up resulting in the paralyzation of 496,000 children, I believe. He's not allowed Jesus. in India anymore. He's, he's really? Like, if you go, if you come to India, we're throwing you in prison for the rest. Bill of Gates. Life. Bill Gates. Really? Yeah. Well, finally, someone's <laughs> standing up to the guy. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of irrefutable at that point. I mean, you know, you'd have. This is no longer a conspiracy. Wow. Yeah. 
That's 1% of uh, India's children, by the way. <laughs> and so if anyone wants to, the stuff we're going to go through, if you want to look at the actual tabletop exercise dem- um, document, this would be at centerforhealthsecurity.org. Uh, this is done through John Hopkins and the Bloomberg School of Public Health. So that website, the Center for Health Security, is actually is the official website of this tabletop exercise. So this isn't... Like if you want to see what they are saying, so if you want to double check, because I'm just, I'm, this is where most of this information, almost all of it comes from. I'm going by what you guys are telling me. Yeah, just take our word for it. Yes. <laughs> but I also want to say is that I feel like that we bring up a lot of stuff in, in, you know, on this podcast that we talk about and it gets real doom and gloom. And I don't want to make this just another like kind of boogeyman, you know, by the same psychopathic cast of characters looking to subjugate the entire world. Um, it's, it's the, I want to point out a few things. I want to point out that there are some patterns. And as we always say, you know, my ability to perceive pattern recognition doesn't make me a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. And so what we do a lot when we talk about these things, like we look at the templates for what they're proposing. They always seem to be kind of the same thing. And there is a reason for that. And what I want to do is I had someone listen to the last episode mm-hmm. and they're like, you guys should try to propose like some solutions, mm-hmm. which are very difficult. So we're talking about complete like global takeover by cycle. It's like, what do we do? I actually right. wanted to bring that up. Okay. So yeah. um, when you're done rambling, um, <laughs> I have some <laughs> somewhere Still in the practice zone? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm, the dose is back up and I am fucking loving it. Um, Woo! So one, not so much a solution, but we always say step one is just, we have to create the awareness. Like, so when we talk about, we bring up these things over and over, it's like, ah, it's getting a little redundant. It's like, well, yeah, but then I run into my buddy, Bill, you know, at the taqueria or whatever. He's like, I've never, I've never, I've never heard of any of that. Like, you're, you're Bill, like, Gates, what? Bill, Bill like, Gates, the Microsoft guy. Like, yeah, you don't know about what he's doing with vaccines. And, yeah. and then you tell him, like, you know. He's like, your he, buddy's all. <laughs> could you what? Could you pull your mask down? I couldn't understand what you just said. <laughs> oh, you're not Bill. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so I want to lay out just a way of thinking about things. And this is the notion. It's called working backwards. And that's what these people are doing. And put this within the context of when, so when we have, uh, just put it into three steps. We have crisis, solution, action, right? And when we have the crisis, whatever it may be, right? It could be some kind of a horrific shooting, could be a natural disaster, it could be the climate, could be war, yeah, whatever. And when the action, when the solution is incongruent with the crisis, like we saw during the COVID pandemic, that's when you start asking questions. And when it, things do not make sense, when you go you know, through those three steps and when you go to the end, what's the action? Is these people at the top of these power structures are working backwards. They're like, no, 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 we're starting at action. Yeah. Whatever the crisis may be, we work backwards from there. And that's, if anything, from this episode, it's like I just want people to, to really start thinking about that because every major issue that we see you know, whatever horrific event we always say is like, oh, why are the solutions always the same thing? It's this overreach of authoritarian control. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a, a 
diminishment of privacy, of the increase yeah. of the surveillance state. It's always the same thing. It's funny that I went there without you even priming that because that was exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Like you hear about these planned uh, <clears throat> exercises and you know what they're leading to. It's it's obvious that they've written it from the end right. back to the beginning. Yeah, you're working I mean, backwards. Same thing with the Patriot Act, right? They started with the Patriot Act We're getting and worked back to, we need a crisis to right. compel this. Yeah. And whether or not they actually planned 9-11, they certainly didn't do anything to stop it right. and they used it to their advantage. And you can, so now we're getting into, we did a whole episode on this, but all this stuff is definitely related to the notion of the false flag that we talk about. Because false flag isn't just, well, 9-11 was an inside job or it wasn't. No, it's like very, it's a lot more nuanced than that. And so, as you're saying, for 9-11, becoming the impetus for us to enact for Project for a New American Century, the Patriot Act, and to go to war in Iraq, that was established a year before. And so, it's a, you know, that that's an incongruency that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, the planes hit the trade towers. Let's invade Iraq. Yeah. You're like, huh? Uh, that doesn't make sense. It's like, well, no, no, no. They're working backwards. Yeah. Invading Iraq was was the action. It's like they're going to work backwards from there, and everyone just goes, "Well, that's what they're going to do." You know, <laughs> well, you know, freedom fries. Yeah. So you can look at something. So you know, take it. Uh, so something similar to be uh, like that horrific shooting in Buffalo, mm -hmm. right? That was the crisis. We had very complex, long-winded, comprehensive gun control form, reform on Kathy Hochul's desk the next day. It's because it was already written. Mm -hmm. They're working backwards. Yeah. So, and that's not to say that they planned the yeah crisis necessarily, but they were licking their lips when it happened. Ready to go. Yeah. That's the one. We're they were. Working they backwards. were literally happy that yeah. that happened. So, um, this is a little bit dry. But I feel like I should just give like not everyone has read this paper. So here's just the bare bones of it. This is using. Hold on a second. Okay, go ahead. This is using their uh, words. So the exercise simulated a series of WHO emergency health advisory board meetings addressing a fictional pandemic set in the near future. Uh, participants grappled, grappled with how to respond to an ep epidemic located in one part of the world and that spread rapidly, becoming a pandemic. Um, this one has a spin on it that has a higher fatality rate than COVID-19 and a disproportionately affecting children, children and young people. Of course. You know what else has a higher fatality rate than COVID-19? Uh, waking up in the morning. Yeah, driving on the freeway, <laughs> taking down my Christmas lights later. Um, okay, this, this part's important. Participants were challenged to make urgent policy decisions with limited information in the face of uncertainty. Each problem and choice had serious health, economic, and social ramifications. This is the sentence. To successfully contain such an outbreak, decisive and bold action would need to be taken in the face of incomplete data, high scientific uncertainty, and potential political resistance. Um, the name of this virus is Sears, by the way. Uh, severe Epidemic Enterovirus Respiratory Syndrome. Um, they propose that a billion cases, 20 million dead, 15 million which Read that children. sentence again because it's interesting what they, this is in 2022 they did this. Yes. Right? Yes. So October. listen to what they identify as the main problems. Oh man. It's right. <laughs> it's like we talked about this. this is great. To successfully contain such an outbreak, decisive and bold action would need to be taken in the face of incomplete data, high scientific uncertainty, 
and potential political resistance. Yeah. So do you find anything ominous about that statement? Just, yeah. just right off the bat. So we don't really know scientific uncertainty. We don't really know what we're doing right. and we might have political resistance yeah. to us doing something, even though we just said in the previous half a sentence, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. So they took what happened in COVID right. and people were, uh, aware or awake to the fact that they didn't know what they were doing. They were pushing vaccines, air quotes, mm -hmm. on us that were untested right. for uh, people in the population that weren't at risk, mm -hmm. and they met some political resistance. Yes. So what's the problem there? <laughs> right? So break down what they're saying. So is it's easy for us, I mean, and it makes the most sense, you put this within the context of the COVID pandemic. So with everything that they say here, we're talking about um, things hap are happening in the face of scientific uncertainty. It's like, can you imagine getting anything more wrong than they did during the COVID pandemic? Yeah. And what's the blue-pilled NPC, like, you know, automatic response? Like, well, the science changed. I and mean, we didn't know back then. I was like, and so what they're saying yeah. is... And we were so resisting. this next pandemic, there's going to be a lot of scientific. It's going to be even worse. Like what what you guys saw during COVID is not shit. No, we're really like, not going like to know. Operating what we're doing. in the face of like no information and no data and scientific uncertainty. I'm like, mm -hmm. you guys did that in spades with COVID. You're saying there's another level to this shit. Yeah, it's insane to think about. And we might feel some pushback from yes. that. You think so? So this that phrase right there political resistance, you're going to get some pushback, mm -hmm. I think is the, is the fundamental point, which we'll get to at the end. Like that's the main point of this tabletop exactly. exercise. Obviously. Yeah. So this is all of their recommendations. We already know this, but with school closures, lockdowns, travel restrictions, vaccine mandates, you know, all of the exact same solutions they're proposing, all the things that did not work. Right that failed miserably every step of the way. They're proposing the exact same thing, but at a higher level. I think that's why they're trying to preemptively kind of cut it off of the pass of there's going to be a lot of resistance to this stuff. And the point of this entire tabletop, tabletop epidemic exercise, it has nothing to do with pandemic preparedness. No, it clearly. has to do with establishing, preemptively establishing like a, an authoritative network yeah. of health professionals, quote unquote, under the guise of Bill AKA Gates and, the, and the World Health Organization. Yeah. That what they're doing is they're 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 running the preemptive propaganda campaign right. to like basically grease the wheels. Like this thing needs to be up and running. And right off the bat, the thing that they're most worried about is the political resistance, the questioning of authority, right. the distrust in government and medical professionals and misinformation of course if they were worried about people's health they wouldn't frame it that way right mm -hmm. because right. if this was really a dangerous thing we've said it a million times yeah. everyone said it yeah if people were dying in the streets like in the black plague right you wouldn't have resistance yeah it's it's what happened with the covid pandemic what's what's the first thing the cdc does it's like we have this the most deadly pandemic we've seen in decades you know what the first thing we should do is change the definition of vaccine yeah. and herd immunity that's what we need to do like, really? Yeah. There's that incongruency. They're working backwards. Exactly. Do not ignore that little voice in the back of your head that says this makes absolutely no fucking sense. So here's the main question being debated at this conference, more or less according to them. Given that 
the next contagion has a higher mortality rate than COVID and disproportionately affects children, would or should countries take different, stronger, or earlier measures to contain it? And what will those measures be? And this would be that implementation of, and I'm going to show you the details of what they're doing, but this is like them creating that preemptive infrastructure, mm-hmm. like we have everything ready. Yep. So when we, this, it's about scaring people. That's what these, all these things are about. It's if we can scare the hell out of you guys, right? And make you ingest 24 seven fear porn, you know, done by us. And then you guys get scared sufficiently enough where you look to us like, what's the solution? And the WHO and Bill Gates go, funny you should ask. We had one written a couple of years ago, and here it is. And it turns out we actually have um, legions of trained pandemic police ready to be deployed to your local uh, municipality. Do you, because we don't think your cops are up to the task. So are you being hyperbolic right there? Yes. <laughs> that's what <laughs> they're trying, doing. Trying that, to be. Well, that's, that's I'm not surprised. Yeah. what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. No, that just, I, obviously... Obviously, dude, I got to tell you, the, the, what is happening, I don't want to like spoil what I'm about to talk about mm-hmm. um, since you're done rambling, but the, uh, this march towards world dominance by the communists mm-hmm. is real. And I don't know if it's just because I'm reading Solzhenitsyn right now mm-hmm. or what, but it is like, crystal clear in my mind what's going on and we have got to share this with everyone so continue (laughs) so now to lend a little credence to the boogeyman metaphor that i mentioned earlier um what gets a little terrifying about these hypothetical um tabletop exercises that the bill and melinda gates foundation the who and all these other world health professionals um embark in it's they always seem to mirror what begins to happen actually in real life. And that's where you should be concerned. In particular to COVID, go back to event 201 in 2019. It's the COVID pandemic. It's, it's they almost, it, and the COVID pandemic, it comes from somewhere else. So between event 201 and the SPARS pandemic papers like this, like how, how, how are they doing a tabletop exercise that they exactly happened in reality, you know, two years later, a year later, so to go back to your world medical police, um, this is actually being proposed. It's they're called. It's a network of national health experts Dude, and responders. And that is why. That is why Joe Biden gave the WHO the power to what was what did he do? He turned over. Uh, he said that in an emergency that the WHO would be permitted to take I control they of called our, a, a, um, our government or our, uh, our... I can't remember what it was called. Something amnesty. Not, it wasn't, wasn't a pandemic amnesty, but it was something close I mean, to how it. else would you march troops in to um, the United States of America? How else would the global police be able to just walk right in unless yes. we gave him permission? And that's probably what we did when he did that. You're on it today. Fuck. It's the prednisone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I got some extra. These experts will be a network existing in every country. Experts? Uh, According to them. (laughs) Armed. They're called professional. Jackbooted experts. They're called professional public health leaders. Uh, They're controlled by the WHO. They will be installed, implemented into every single country. Um, These professional public health leaders will be installed, not elected, right? They're not elected. And there's a reason for this. 
There's a, there's like a political bend to this. It's just evil genius shit. Yeah, but um, this is this is not. They're not proposing this. That's what this meeting was about. They're doing this. They're already working on the details of this of install of implementing these leaders in every single country that will be beholden not to any political leader or not elected or the citizens will will entirely under the guise of the w, the WHO. Yeah, that's your pandemic police you're talking about. Yep. So when that when this next crisis hits, as in a pandemic, they might magically predict they're already up and running, right? Yeah. So there's no, there's no, we're not starting from square one. We've already started. So this would be going back to, well, it was the notion of working backwards and, you know, looking at false flags, you know, what happened with 9-11, the Patriot Act, invading Iraq, you know, the mass shootings, everything that we talked about. It's just, they, this is all being done now. So when that pandemic hits, which they're saying it definitely will probably sooner than later, like we're, we're ready to go. We have an authoritarian structure ready to go. Mm-hmm. Is this depressing? No, it's actually <laughs> it's actually firing me up to be honest. So, if you are listening and you're in law enforcement, local law enforcement, not um, secret police style law enforcement, but like sheriff or local police uh, in your community, or you have friends and family who are, um, please reach out to them and maybe have them listen to this episode. Um, but the reason being that we need to galvanize around the idea of American, uh, autonomy right now, the time we're actually probably late to the game on this. We talked a while back about having, remember I brought up that idea of having a pledge that Mm -hmm. we were, we were going to write to, to, um, propose that our local law enforcement would take this pledge to never, take up arms against the the populace or to right. to do the no it was more like to do the bidding of uh the economic elites the world economic forum i can't remember how i worded it but um this idea that you guys are you are from our community you are our friends and our neighbors and our relatives and if anything can stop this uh from happening this global takeover of America, it's you. You have authority. Now, they might tell you that you don't have all the authority, but you have the authority of the people. The people will support you. You have to be a vanguard against this shit for us. We will do it too. It's up to us to resist this as well. And I want to talk more about that, but we need the local law enforcement to not do the bidding of the state and actually tell these foreign invaders, which is essentially what they are, mm-hmm. even if they're made up by um, Americans that are mm-hmm. um, populating these police forces that we're talking about, this is a foreign invasion. This is an attack on an American, yeah. on American values. And we have to resist it. We need everyone to that has any power to do so to, to which, join in the fight. Which we saw, which was nice. There were some silver linings with the COVID pandemic, but we did see that. I mean, definitely depending on where you live. Um, we did see law enforcement just go like, we're not enforcing right. it. Yeah. And that's encouraging. My neighbor's having a barbecue. Like, I, what do you, no, yeah. we're not, we're not going there. We're not enforcing this. That's shit. encouraging and yeah. a step in the right direction, but we may need the sheriffs to tell the UN or the world health organization that you're not welcome. So you, you 
kind of alluded to, you made a loose connection to these foreign evaders and having some kind of like militaristic kind of bent or aesthetic to it, which is kind of interesting you said that because these professional public health leaders is referred to by, by this tabletop exercise as the pandemic court. So the pandemic core will be, that's like the, that's essentially the branch of this medical military that they're talking about implementing into every country. Yeah. And we also talked about that the, I think it's important to kind of look at the fact that these are unelected, right? And they are an, a foreign body, right? Being putting into there. And so when our political elites are faced with doing something that could be unfavorable, have some kind of political blowback, which is all they care about because that's a diminishment in their power of them not getting elected again or potentially being president one day or whatever. This absolves the politicians from any negative blowback to whatever draconian measure that's, you know, we're locking everything down. It's like, this is bullshit. We're going to rebel against it. And then your political elites go like, it's not, I, I, I didn't make this decision. This is that pandemic core. It's all them. Like, I have nothing to do with this. We, I have to do what they say. Yeah. Which is kind of the evil genius kind yeah. of side street. Of this oh, whole do life. you? You have to. Why? Because if you don't, then you're not going to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. Right? Or you might get fired. Oh, God forbid. So if you, when we talk about a lot of the things that we refer to as false flag events is think about having the Patriot Act already written you know, before 9-11, ready to go, or these positioning, these um, pandemic core, like getting all the nuts and bolts of this. This is what's known in the realm of false flags as positioning assets, right? We're getting all of our ducks in a row. So when this, just in case this hypothetical thing actually happens, like everyone's already in place to go. So in the, yeah, positioning assets is, is an important kind of term to, to remember in the context of all this stuff. Um, Send me a link to the uh, to something on this. I'm going to put it in the show notes, sure. So the people who I'll send you the want to know the, more the about the actual this. website, okay? Yeah, that that you can look at. So now to think back to working backwards and the idea of positioning assets, and this is what I think that this is what I think this exercise is actually about. <clears throat> this is from their document. Countries should prioritize efforts to increase trust in government and public health improve public health communication efforts, increase the population's resiliency to misleading information, and reduce the spread of harmful information. I think that's, when you get into this paper, you realize the biggest hurdle that they are trying to jump over, it's not the, the hypothetical 15 million dead children. It's misinformation. It's people yeah. out there it's with the alternative points of view. It's the internet. And, this, when to establish the WHO and its pandemic core is like the official, the only source of information. They are creating preemptively the infrastructure where all it's it's homogenous medical opinion, just coming from these one people who are pro lockdown, pro vaccine mandate, who got everything wrong during the COVID pandemic. Like we need to rebuild our distrust. Why do we distrust these people? Because you got everything fucking wrong during the COVID pandemic. And now you're working a preemptive propaganda campaign. Like we need to, we need to, you know, we got over our skis in that last pandemic. We need to pull everything back and we need to rebuild this trust and we need to eliminate all dissenting information. That's the, the two main points of this entire exercise is what they're trying to do. Right. Get rid of disinformation and to put ourselves up as the beacon, as a purveyor, the only place to get information. And then when you see what the guy at the top 
is is two decades in on you know vocally talking about world depopulation and forced vaccine mandates. That's the guy at the top of this. This should be a little terrifying to you. Yeah. So this is when they talk about the the biggest problem, the most problematic element of this table talk exercise, sorry, is to reduce the spread of harmful, harmful misinformation is like, this is what I want to explain to me is what they are talking, who are they talking about? Who's misinformation in this scenario? Well, it's not them. No. In their, in their uh, <clears throat> limited scientific understanding. Yeah, this is your Dave Smiths, your Pete Quinones, the No Agenda podcast, Last American Vagabond, uh, any alternative like podcast. Tucker Epic Carlson. Times, yeah, Epic Times, uh, Tucker Carlson, Alex Berenstein. And you know what I did? is I went back to like towards the end of 2020 and started listening to podcasts, like part of the problem, uh, no agenda, all the people I just listed. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to see what they were saying about, you know, when supposedly like we didn't know, no one knew anything. They got everything right. Almost every podcast I listened to, it's like, yeah, this like, they, they nailed it. That's all the same stuff that we were saying. And go back to what I was saying before, it's like, our ability to perceive pattern recognition, that doesn't make us a conspiracy theorist. What it makes us say at the very beginning, like, uh, it's going to be more than 15 days to flatten the curve, dude. You know, I don't think the kids are going back after spring break. I don't think this yeah. vaccine's all they're saying it's going to be. All those podcasts I listened to for 2020 saying the exact same thing that we were, that we were saying back then. Well, and so this is the misinformation. Well, go, this go, is a go. simple fact. They got fucking everything right, and everyone that you're talking about, you exactly. Know, Go Rachel do Maddow, the like converse. The, the virus stops with you when you're vaccinated, yeah. and, and what Dr. Joe Biden saying, like you will not get COVID if you get vaccinated. What Fauci was saying, the vaccine has a 95 percent efficacy. You like, that's who we're supposed to be listening to. This is this is yeah, these are not facts. misinformation. Yeah, these are simple facts. Yeah, we can go back. I mean, article after article after article. I can send you the podcast. Like, these guys got it right. These guys got get it wrong, and you guys are running an aggressive campaign. To for us to for these people to be deplatformed and canceled, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and then they'll say, "Well, yeah, I mean, we got things wrong." The we'll science admit changed. That. We got things wrong. Yeah, that's the information that you gave us was wrong. Right. That would be misinformation. You missed. All right. You were wrong. I mean, how is that not misinformation? That's a fucking definition. Meanwhile, the people you're demonizing got it all right. As I read through this, like a, a thought kind of popped into my head. Something the other tour guides won't tell you. So we're going deeper than that. <laughs> so just as, just a thought, just want to throw out here. We're just two friends having a conversation, putting it on the internet. Putting it on the internet <laughs> is event two hundred one was essentially the dry run for the COVID pandemic, right? Right, and. The according to this tabletop exercise, I mean, all their calories are spent on combating misinformation, mm-hmm. quote unquote, and creating themselves as the authoritarian source for all information, yep. for all solutions, lockdowns, masks, you know, vaccine mandates, everything. Think about it like this: is if event two hundred one was essentially the hypothetical slash, as it turns out, dry run for COVID and the COVID narrative fell apart because of this quote unquote misinformation. We talk about the COVID narrative imploding and kind of caving in on itself. And they see that as like, that is the 
problematic, the fundamental problematic element of the entire COVID, you know, the, the COVID pandemic. That's what, yeah. that's where we went wrong. Right. And this next thing is about to happen. COVID had a survivability rate of 99.97%. There's that incongruency that we see. It's like, okay, crisis, kind of, but the solutions that you guys have are completely incongruent. You're like, okay, because they're working backwards. We already had the template yeah. established with Event 201, the sparse pandemic paper. Is It makes you start to think that, dude, this, whatever this next contagion is, they, they call it a catastrophic contagion. It's Sears, you know, it's hypothetical, of course, is COVID was actually the dry run. Is they tried all this stuff. They said, like, we're just like, we know this virus really isn't shit. It's fine. But what if we try to lock down the entire world, do all this stuff that we talk about and see if we can pull it off? And they did. I mean, to a surprisingly easy degree. Everyone's struggling. Well, I guess we're locking down and taking my kids out of school and I got to yeah. stand on this red dot in the grocery store and I can only walk this way down this aisle and turn this way and go this way and I'm wearing rubber gloves and two masks. I mean... Unless I'm eating and then yeah, I can take the mask <laughs> off. take it down, yeah. <laughs> Is it really makes you think. I was like, I think this COVID thing was the dry run for what's going to happen next, which would be, they're like, wow, people bought it. Now we can really do like a, a more like draconian lockdown travel restrictions, you know, and this, now that we know we can do this, this can be done for climate. It can be done for mm -hmm. this catastrophic contagion. It can be done for another virus within maybe has like a 99.6% <laughs> survivability rate. And so we need to panic even more. Yeah. Makes you think. It certainly does. And just keep an eye on, uh, Mr. Elon Musk and what's going on with Twitter, <laughs> because the Twitter is basically where all of the information on this quote misinformation from Alex Berenstein and Dr. Malone and all the people that got kicked off of Twitter for being right. Um, that is where all that information was. Hold on a sec. I'm going to get me. Um... <laughs> nice. <Go on. laughs> well done. <laughs> That's where all that information made it out to the ears of the public, right? It was right. through Twitter. So, Maybe Elon Musk is saving Twitter, but maybe not. Yeah. Maybe what Elon Musk is doing is destroying Twitter. Mm -hmm. There has been that talk lately. Uh, so I, let's just stay tuned with that saga and see what's... You know what? We'll do this next episode. I, I, uh, I'm i kind of knee-deep in it. I, I'm almost positive that Elon Musk is a deep state asset. And he was put there to run Twitter on purpose because he's like everyone's guy. It's just kind of like he's anti the man. He's not anti the man. No, he's not. And his agendas with a Neuralink program perfectly mirror the World Economic Forum's transhumanist agenda. It's a risky game though because if what they're doing is trying to destroy Twitter by making Twitter back into the free speech platform that mm -hmm. it was essentially meant to be, they could just be showing people that, yes, that's what we need. Mm -hmm. And then even if Twitter dies, something else will take its place. So right. it's a risky game. But um, I got to go talk to this guy about a horse. <laughs> so... I, we had tamales for Christmas dinner, mm -hmm. traditional Mexican thing to do, right? Yep. And uh, 
I was the one who had to go get the tamales from the tamale place. Mm-hmm. Ran into Dan there, by the way. Yeah. Did he tell you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's my my mother-in-law, mi suegra, asked me to go get them, basically. Mm-hmm. And I just, there's very few things I wouldn't do that she, she would ask me right. to do. You know, just, yeah. I don't know. She's probably has more sway over me than anyone else in my life. If I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> so I get there at six thirty in the morning, and I wait in the freezing ass cold for uh, over an hour to get these goddamn tamales. Because of a line, yeah, dang. Because everybody, it's that place over by my old house, right? Oh, those are good. They're really good. I know. I ate two once. With the rice and beans, yeah, and I had to, I had to leave work and go take a nap. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they're deceiving. You're it's like, a oh, lot of these little yeah. tamales. You eat. Like, oh my god! <laughs> and they put like like powdered like lead in them or something. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of time, and I was while I was in line, I was listening to the Gulag Archipelago, mm-hmm. as I've been doing mm-hmm. lately. Which, if anyone out there hasn't read it or listened to it, uh, it should be required reading. It's a very powerful book. And the whole time I'm thinking about communism and how this thing happened to the Soviet Union and a lot of places around the country that is the most awful thing that has ever happened to humanity. Communism is the worst expression of government that that there could possibly be. You know, there's there's basically, as I see it, and I still kind of wrap my head around this, there's three options for government. Mm-hmm. I think there's three and only three. There's the private ownership of the government, which mm-hmm. would be like a monarchy. Mm-hmm. The king owns everything, right? The public ownership of the government which is democracy. And if you take that to its logical end, you end up with communism Mm -hmm. where it's for the people, right? By the people for the greater good. Right. Everyone's, everyone gets a vote, but at the end of the day, no one actually has to take responsibility for the government because it's, everyone owns it together. Right. Right. A King has to take responsibility. If the roads are fucked up, it's on him. Yeah. If the roads are fucked up in your neighborhood, like, what are you going to do? You know, complain. So the, the third option is what we argue for all the time. And that's just liberty. Yeah. Total freedom. People to act on their own accord, make deals with their neighbors and not have anyone overseeing what they're doing and just having to be, um, accountable to the the contracts that they sign and just, you know, total freedom. This isn't meant to be an economic, uh, lecture. Um, so I'm standing there in line and I'm thinking like, how? Because if you, when you read the Gulag Archipelago, it's what the most astonishing thing is how humanity can be to get to that point. lost. Yeah. That there can be a, a place that exists where the most literally unimaginable loss of human decency can exist. And that's what happened. I mean, anything, if there was a possibility to make it worse, they, someone would think of that, some guard or some boss in the, in the prisons would think of that and they would make it worse. Yeah. It, or, or, uh, Stalin 
would pass a decree right. where now 12 year olds can be convicted for the same crimes as adults just for having a couple of potatoes in their trouser pockets. Right. And now they're locked in for 10 years in the worst place that you can imagine. In fact, you can't imagine it. When you read this book, you realize that you had no idea how dark it could be made for yeah. he- other human beings. It's just fucking terrifying and, and it's, awful. It's wild to, like I said, I read this book five years ago, maybe somewhere around there. And my first inclination was like, why was I not taught this? Because all we hear about as, ki- or as kids is Nazi Germany. That's yes. all, and then it's on your own accord that you find no, out. Hit- Hitler is the worst possible person. Yeah, it's on your own accord that you find out about like the Khmer Rouge and North Korea and Maoist China. And then the Gulag Archipelago was actually the last one out of all that I read. Because I got more and more just fascinated by how, how does a totalitarian regime get to power? Second, your question, how, how do the people end up this way? Like the, the inhumanity, how, like how, how does that, mm-hmm. how do we get to a point where that is being expressed like out in real life all of a sudden yeah. where neighbors are turning on neighbors and the guard is, you know, torturing and killing you know people that he lives in the same town with like how do you get to that point we were talking about earlier is that all every single one of these totalitarian regimes all have a kind of a similar thing that they always the survivors say like it happened very slowly and then it just happened all of a sudden right and it's when you know andrew uh andrew dice clay andrew dice clay (laughs) (laughs) when he was uh when he was sitting in the gulag going like, what? Oh, it's, it's then he starts asking the questions. Sol- like, why Solzhenitsyn. Did, yeah, Solzhenitsyn. <laughs> All I could think was Andrew Tyson. Like, Man, it's derailed big time here. Um, it wasn't until they're in the gulag. Like, how, why didn't we fight back? Why don't we all, like we were all against this. Like now we're all in the gulag. Like how does this, yeah. how does this happen? And so, yeah. And to that point, let me just read a couple of quotes here from the book. So, he talks about when, when you get arrested. At what point then should one resist? When one's belt is taken away? When one is ordered to face into a corner? When one crosses the threshold of one's home? An arrest consists of a series of incidental irrelevancies, a multitude of things that do not matter. And there seems no point in arguing about one of them individually. And yet all these incidental irrelevancies taken together implacably constitute the arrest. And we've all been there where you, you just feel like you should have said something and you didn't. And then next thing you know, it's over. Right. And that can take a form of many different forms. And, um, I'm standing there in this line at, uh, at the tamale place, just stewing, thinking about this stuff. Like how did they get to that point? I feel like we're on the road to this point. Communism basically is what is happening, is what you were just talking about with um, with this pandemic stuff, right. right? In my mind, what's happening is communism is slowly creeping over the world and we don't really realize it. It's happening slowly at first and then it's going to happen all at once, right? The, the CBDC that we're all terrified of, it is not about the CBDC. It is about communism. 
Yeah, it's about control. It's about controlling Centralized people. control. Exactly. Yeah. Centralizing the power. That is just a tool to do it. Right. It's not the reverse where it's we just want communism. It's an ideology. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it is. It's not the other way around where it's communism in order for them to get this CBDC in place so that the banks can profit and blah, blah, blah. No, it's the other way around. No. And the banks want a seat at the table. But don't get me wrong. But the, the mechanism is in order to centralize control. This is a tool to centralize the control over the people. So I'm standing there in this line, like just for over an hour, freezing, thinking about how they got there in Russia and the Soviet Union and how they, they very, went, very they said, when, when should we resist and how do you... Do you push back? And then, you know, there's another quote by Solzhenitsyn where, from this book, which I'm just, I'll go ahead and read it too. He says, and how we burn in the camps later thinking, what would things have been like if every security operative, when he went out on a night to make an arrest, had been uncertain whether he would return alive and had to say goodbye to his family? Or if during periods of mass arrests, as in the example of Leningrad, when they arrested a quarter of the entire city, people had not simply sat there in their lairs, palling with terror, at every bang of the downstairs door and at every step on the staircase, but had understood that they had nothing left to lose and had boldly set up in the downstairs hall an ambush of half a dozen people with axes, hammers, pokers, or whatever else was at hand. After all, you knew ahead of time that those blue caps, who were the, the cops going around Stakely. arresting people, yeah, yep. were out at night for no good purpose. And you could be sure ahead of time that you'd be cracking the skull of a cutthroat. What about the Black Maria, that's the car, sitting out there on the street with one lonely chauffeur? What if it had been driven off or its tire spiked? The organs, the Soviet state institutions, would quickly have suffered a shortage of officers and transport, and notwithstanding all of Stalin's thirst, the cursed machine would have ground to a halt. If, if, we didn't love freedom enough, even more, we had no awareness of the real situation. We spent ourselves in one unrestrained outburst in 1917, and then we hurried to submit. We submitted with pleasure. We purely and simply deserved everything that happened afterwards. Pretty powerful. Fuck, dude. So anyways, I'm standing there in this line, <laughs> and there's people outside wearing masks. <laughs> and we're outside on the sidewalk. And I'm just thinking <clears throat> to myself, like, at what point do I, where do I draw the line with everything that we're seeing happening around us? There has to be a point. There is a point. So it's, it's between, cause I've never, I've, I haven't done anything, um, except start this podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But I've never said any, you know, I never like really go after people. To confront people. Confront people. Right. Right. Um, I've never yelled at a cop for doing his job or, you know, and not that I've seen him breaking what I consider to be like, you know, real right. laws, like human, human rights laws. But at some point there is a line that has to be drawn and yeah. it's somewhere between today and the gulag mm -hmm. so that I'm not writing the same fucking thing that Stolchenitsyn wrote here. Right. Okay. And so I'm standing there looking at these people wearing the mask thinking like, because what is the mass except for a... It's a visual it's representation a, of obedience. Of obedience to this communist wave that's sweeping yeah. over the world, right? It is your communist uh, armband. You're, right. you're belonging to this communism uh, tribe yeah. that's, that's slowly just creeping in. And I want to say to these people, like, take the fucking mask off. It doesn't do anything. There's so much proof that it doesn't do anything. In fact... Um, 
the director of the White House COVID policy. He's that guy. I played a, a clip of him before. Um, what's his name? Dr. Ashish Jha. Mm-hmm. Remember, he was he was saying get get boosted, get vaccinated. That's why he got two arms. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. He's right. the two arm guy, right? Yeah. Well, this is him recently in a uh, a Zoom meeting with some other health uh, professionals and some uh, journalists, like uh, health and science journalists. Okay. We can be doing for schools, for office buildings, for nursing homes. Indoor air quality is sort of has just not gotten the level of attention it deserves. You know, most experts believe that if we make some basic investments in indoor air quality, we can reduce infect all respiratory infections by 30, 60, even 80 percent. I mean, the notion that you can cut <laughs> respiratory infections, there's no study in the world that shows that masks work that well. So it, you're never going to get the kind of benefit from mandatory year round masking as you would from making substantial improvements in indoor air quality. But- How old is that? Two weeks, <laughs> one week, maybe. Okay. So there you have it. Okay. I've been saying it for a long fucking time. I can point to 170 plus studies showing that masks don't work. Here is the white house director of COVID response saying that masks don't fucking work, but no one cares. No one gets that message because the mask isn't about protecting people. Yeah. It's about signaling that you are it's part of the regime. Signal. Yes. Part of the regime. So I don't want to, I don't want to use like really fringe sources, but there's also, I mean, you really kind of got to dig to find it. There's also, um, you know where there's also some, some kind of information you can find that masks don't work. Infowars. No, uh, no, it no. says it on the fucking box when you buy the mask. <laughs> <laughs> so Just spitballing new ideas here. So anyways, back to me standing in the freezing cold for over an hour waiting for the tamales. Um, the by the way, like never mind. I have I have advice on how to run your tamale shop, but we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> um the the people wearing the masks, I don't feel like I'm ever going to call them out. I'm fucking close. Right. Especially since they re upped my dosage. Mm-hmm. Um I'm close, but I I don't feel like that's the line to draw. Now, what if I saw somebody standing in that line wearing a full on like Antifa uniform, you know, mm-hmm. would I say something to that person? I'm not sure I would either. No, I don't think, no, but my answer is no, but, but we are moving in a direction where we're going to start to see that. And because our impulse is to say nothing, that's just going to become normal too. We're going to end up seeing this kind of behavior just escalate, escalate, escalate. And it's just like Stolchenitsyn was saying, like, at what point do you resist when they take your belt off and they tell you to face the corner? It's like, it's just this slow creep, like we were saying. And then all of a sudden it happens all at once. And I think that we need to make some sort of a line in the sand where we're just not going to tolerate this shit anymore. Mm -hmm. Because we see it in our community and the people around us and the fuckheads that you know, I'm talking about Mm -hmm. are fully on board with this regime. Yeah. And we might think that they're just, you know, just following in the norm of, you know, what they see on Facebook and what they think is the right thing to do or what the, the talking heads on liberal media tell them to do, but it could be even more nefarious than that. Mm-hmm. These people are ready to lock us into the gulag today oh, so if they had are, the chance. Some of them are saying that out loud. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that we need to be more vocal about ha- having some sort of code that we hold ourselves to, to not let this shit get out of hand and stand up 
against these people. And I know that we risk going to jail for doing that. I mean, just look at what happens to the Proud Boys when they get in a fight with Antifa in self-defense, totally in the right, and they get four years in prison for this kind of shit. So we need to be smart about it and not be... You know, probably not talking about it on our podcast before it happens, um, like we are right now. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, I'm just saying, like this, we we need us, and we need our community, and we need the law enforcement in our community, and we need the leaders that we trust in our community to do the right thing for us to have some sort of standard that we can hold them to, we can hold ourselves to, where this shit doesn't actually get out of hand because it is it is trending towards that so steadily and so clearly. And I just, I see it everywhere. I turn that that is what's happening right now in our society. And if all of us just sit around and don't say anything and don't do anything, it's eventually going to be us having the same fucking conversation, but we're going to be locked in a goddamn labor camp somewhere. Amen. And we're going to be looking back to this conversation. You know, you, you could play this podcast. Where we're laughing and joking about it to us. And we'd probably start fucking crying because <laughs> like we fucking saw it. We knew it. We said we should do something. And then we did nothing. And I, for one, ain't going out like that. From those years as it actually occurred. A district party conference was underway in Moscow province. It was presided over by a new secretary of the district party committee, replacing one recently arrested. At the conclusion of the conference, a tribute to comrade Stalin was called for. Of course, everyone stood up, just as everyone had leaped to his feet during the conference at every mention of his name. The small hall echoed with stormy applause rising to an ovation. For three minutes, four minutes, Five minutes. The stormy applause rising to an ovation continued. But palms were getting sore, and raised arms were already aching. And the older people were panting from exhaustion. It was becoming insufferably silly, even to those who really adored Stalin. However, who would dare be the first to stop? The secretary of the district party committee could have done it. He was standing on the platform, and it was he who had just called for the ovation. But he was a newcomer. He had taken the place of a man who'd been arrested. He was afraid. After all, NKVD men were standing in the hall applauding and watching to see who quit first. And in that obscure small hall, unknown to the leader, the applause went on six, seven, eight minutes. They were done for. Their goose was cooked. They couldn't stop now till they collapsed with heart attacks. At the rear of the hall, which was crowded, they could of course cheat a bit, clap less frequently, less vigorously, not so eagerly, but up there with the presidium, where everyone could see them? The director of the local paper factory, an independent and strong-minded man, stood with the presidium. Aware of all the falsity and all the impossibility of the situation, he still kept on applauding. Nine minutes. Ten. In anguish, he watched the secretary of the district party committee, but the latter dared not stop. Insanity. To the last man, with make-believe enthusiasm on their faces, looking at each other with faint hope, the district leaders were just going to go on and on, applauding, till they fell where they stood, till they were carried out of the hall on stretchers. And even then, those who were left would not falter. Then, after eleven minutes, the director of the paper factory 
assumed a business-like expression, and sat down in his seat. And oh, a miracle took place. Where had the universal, uninhibited, indescribable enthusiasm gone? To a man, everyone else stopped dead and sat down. They had been saved. The squirrel had been smart enough to jump off his revolving wheel. That, however, was how they discovered who the independent people were. And that was how they went about eliminating them. That same night, the factory director was arrested. They easily pasted ten years on him on the pretext of something quite different. But after he had signed Form 206, the final document of the interrogation, his interrogator reminded him, Don't ever be the first to stop applauding. <laughs>